Greetings, everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to another episode of Cloud Ninefin, your weekly digest on the world of double-digit debt. I'm your host, Will Cager-Smith, and this week I'm joined by our new US Deputy Editor, David Bell, who is making his Cloud Ninefin debut to discuss refinancing, which is a very hot topic in this market right now. So, first of all, welcome, David. Thanks, Will. Thanks for having me on. All right. So, David published a piece last week looking at high-yield bond issuers that missed last year's refinancing wave. And this story included a customizable nine-fin table that we built to show companies that have kind of left it to the last minute to tackle debt maturities coming up over the next couple of years. So, David, maybe you can just kick us off by giving us some more background on this story. Sure. So we started looking into this just because of how quickly the market sold off this year. The cost of debt has has really increased quite dramatically in a short space of time for high yield borrowers. If we look at the average yield on the the high yield index, it's jumped to almost 9% when it was in the 4% range at the start of the year. So that's that's a massive contrast to 2021, where we saw record amounts of debt being issued in the high yield market at low rates, um, which was driven mainly by refinancing activity. I think that was really the the golden opportunity for these companies to lock in long-term debt at at low rates. Now we're starting to see examples of borrowers that have missed that window coming to the market and really paying through the nose at these new levels. So we we wanted to look into which other companies this might impact. Um, Obviously, the impact of all this might not just be limited to a company having to pay a higher coupon. For one thing, those higher coupons could create a significant drag on free cash flow, just as we seem to be heading into a recession. And there there are also companies that will have been struggling well before this year, where these upcoming maturities essentially present a significant default risk and therefore a a potential trigger for restructuring. We've seen some, some pretty bearish forecasts on default risks. Deutsche Bank, for one, was predicting uh, that default rates would pick up to around 5% in 2023 and 10% in 2024, although they're definitely on the, the more bearish end of predictions. Right. So clearly, the vast majority of companies did manage to hit the market last year to push out their maturities, refinance, give themselves a bit more runway. But as you've said, some of them missed the boat. So for those stragglers who didn't manage to refinance yet, can you explain in a little bit more detail, the predicament that they now face, given everything that's going on in the market. Yeah, so as we mentioned, the, the cost of borrowing has basically doubled this year for high yield uh, borrowers, because investors are now pricing in a recession scenario. Uh, they're looking at what this means for different types of businesses, and there's just a lot of uncertainty out there. So if companies either didn't get around to refinancing last year or they weren't able to when borrowing conditions were a lot easier. I think on both counts, investors are treating them with a lot more caution now. Even for for companies that are performing okay, this new paradigm in the markets means a sharp increase in costs. And for those that couldn't refinance last year because they were already performing badly, I think the situation is even, even more dire. Um, And in the context of these higher borrowing costs, any upcoming maturities become much more of an existential issue for these companies. 
the the other point is kind of obvious, but I think it's worth mentioning that this is definitely more of a problem for lower rated and just generally weaker companies because issuing new debt at today's higher rates is is not the only way that somehow your companies might look to tackle their maturities. We've seen some borrowers with, with really large cash balances like Ford doing big tender offers to buy back bonds for cash that are maturing in, in 2022 and 2023. But, you know, they've got a, a high double B rating, so they're almost at investment grade. It's going to be a, a different story, obviously, for a company with a, a single B or a, a triple C rating. Right. The further you get down the rating spectrum, the harder it's going to be for sure. So um, let's dig into some more examples. One sector that you've written about recently and which we've covered a lot at Ninefin in the past is the cruise industry. So these companies borrowed very heavily to stay afloat during the pandemic. So how are they dealing with refinancing all of that debt now? Right. They, they've been chipping away at it in the in the second half of 2021 and into the start of this year, but there's there's a really long way to go. And now they've got to contend with the threat of recession as well, which might kind of kneecap their recovery just as it was was getting underway. Just just to throw some numbers um, out there, the Carnival's total debt has roughly tripled since before the pandemic to around $35 billion. Royal Caribbean has also roughly doubled to around $23 billion. And Norwegian Cruise Line's total debt has also doubled to around $12 billion. So, you know, it was a massive increase during COVID just because they had such big liquidity needs. So after raising all that for liquidity, generally what they were trying to do in the second half of last year was replace this expensive COVID-era secured debt with unsecured debt, a lower coupon, which would reduce their interest expense and also give themselves more flexibility by freeing up the assets that they pledged um, for secured bonds. So what we saw last year, they were issuing or able to issue unsecured bonds in the 4%, 5% range. Uh, when in 2020, they'd been selling secured bonds with double digit coupons. But now if we if we flip forward to this year, we saw Carnival come into the market in May and they raised a billion dollars of eight year unsecured bonds at, at 10 and a quarter percent, which is just a, a painfully high cost of debt for them at a time when they're still not quite running at full capacity and they're, they're not generating the high levels of cash they were before the pandemic. Yeah. So seeing where markets are now, they probably wish they had done this earlier, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think in hindsight, given where markets have moved, they they probably do, do wish they had refinanced more. But part of the reason they didn't was because of the the really harsh prepayment penalties and some of the bonds they issued during COVID, which mean it's really expensive to take them out. So that kind of leads on to one of the more interesting trades we've seen this year, which was with Royal Caribbean in February. Just as the sell-off was picking up pace in February, they signed a backstop agreement with Morgan Stanley, which guarantees a refinancing for around $3 billion of bonds that they have maturing in the second quarter of 2023. From what we understand about that deal, there's there's no interest rate cap on the guarantee. So Royal Caribbean would pay a market rate if they do take advantage of the backstop next year. But it definitely gives investors some comfort that they have a fallback option in place if markets aren't open. Right. This is a super interesting arrangement. And 
it's uh, it's kind of another example of how Morgan Stanley is <laughs> pushing the boat out a bit to keep Royal Caribbean as a valuable client, right? Yeah, I think it's it's pretty clear that Morgan Stanley has, has hitched its flag to Royal Caribbean, so to speak. Uh, when it comes to the cruise line industry, they led a $2 billion term loan financing for them in March 2020, which was really a, a lifeline for the business. And, and Morgan Stanley's been a book runner on all of Royal Caribbean's bond deals since the start of the pandemic. I think that backstop is just another way for them to cement that relationship. And it's, it's definitely a way for them to differentiate from other banks who are competing for, for the same pool of fees. And obviously Morgan Stanley will be getting some kind of fee for this arrangement too. Um, and it, it probably also helps lock in some some future business with Royal Caribbean. Yep. And it's probably also worth noting that this 2023 debt that they're kind of taking care of with this arrangement was also about to go current. So Royal Caribbean was under some pressure, not just from investors, but also from its auditors to put something like this in place to show they had a, a plan to, to take care of that maturity. Um, but the other thing about this arrangement that I just want to mention quickly is that it'll be really interesting to see how Morgan Stanley syndicates it to outside investors because they probably won't want to hold these bonds long term. I mean, that's not exactly unusual. Banks generally don't like holding high yield debt on their own balance sheet. Um, so they want to place it with outside investors. But when they do syndicate this debt, investors will kind of know that it's underwritten. It's basically a bought deal as opposed to being a, a best effort syndication like most refinancings. So I mean, partly depending on where the deal price is, but also just in general, uh, that could be a really interesting dynamic for, for syndication. Um, and speaking of best efforts refinancings, another company we should probably talk about here is Avaya. So they were in the primary market recently and they had to pay a very, very high price to take out some convertible bonds that were also coming due next year. So David, can you explain a bit more about that situation? Sure. So Avaya is a, a business communications company and they do a mix of your old fashioned landlines to more digital communication solutions. Essentially, they're competing in a, a similar space to the likes of Microsoft or Cisco and newer companies like Slack. They were looking to raise $500 million to refinance a $350 million convertible note, as you said, that matures in, in June 2023. But that note, that convertible note was way out of the money. So they needed to pay it off in cash instead of stock. And that, that loan deal struggled through the primary they ended up printing a $350 million loan and a $250 million secured convertible bond, which wasn't part of the original structure. And they really had to pay up for it. As you said, the loan priced at 1,000 basis points over SOFA, which is the widest we've seen for a really long time. And not only that, but investors also got paid a, a 10-point fee up front to buy the loan as well as getting three years of call protection. And that made the loan look a bit more like a bond, uh, is more investor friendly. Um, these are all ways that you know the bankers look to firm up demand in, in what was a pretty terrible market for primary issuance. Right, and this deal will massively increase Avaya's interest burden, just as the company is already facing pressure on free cash flow because of its new revenue accounting model, right? That's right. The business has traditionally sold perpetual licenses where the customer pays a large one-off upfront fee. 
Um, but like some other companies in the sector, they're shifting to a subscription model. We've seen Citrix and Kofax, uh, other companies that are making this shift. And they reckon that it will boost revenues in the long term, but there's a hit to working capital in the short term as they shift to booking revenues over time instead of that large one-off payment up front. And I think part of the reason investors demanded such a high coupon to lend to Avaya was because there were concerns that this pressure on free cash flow would be worse than expected. Yep. Yeah, all things considered, it really starts to look like Avaya had very little choice but to offer that high coupon and the and the big uh, upfront discount on this deal. I mean, I don't want to explicitly speculate, but the alternative to getting this deal done at those high rates could have been pretty grim. But moving on, finally, we should probably talk about Dish Networks. So our colleague, William Hoffman, who is on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, put out a big report on this company last week, which I thoroughly recommend to listeners. It's very detailed and we probably don't have time to get right down into the weeds. But David, perhaps you can just give us a summary of how Dish might approach its upcoming maturities, because this kind of plays into something you touched on earlier about uh, secured versus unsecured and the relative cost of these two markets. Yeah, that's that's a great story. Um, Dish is a really interesting one just because of the size of their funding needs over the next year or so and, and given where their cost of borrowing might be in this kind of market. They've got $3.5 billion of debt maturing in the next year or so, including a, a $2 billion bond that's due in July and a 1.5 billion bond that's due in March 2023. Um, they've got enough cash to pay off the July maturity in cash, but not the 2023s. And on top of that, they have plans to spend over 10 billion building out their 5G wireless network. So they have got a pretty large funding need over the next couple of years. And as, as William laid out in that story, it would be really expensive for them to try and borrow in the bond market at the moment on an unsecured basis. Their unsecured debt is trading around 11, 12%, and it's just not economical in the long run uh, for, to, to have that kind of coupon on, on that amount of debt. So one thing that analysts have suggested is they could try and lower their borrowing costs by securing debt against the spectrum, which is, this is the airwaves that carry their wireless signal. There's some, some precedent for doing that, because Sprint has raised about $7 billion with this kind of bond before. But for Dish, it's it's a bit more tricky to figure out what that spectrum is actually worth. So I think really the key for them is whether they can get investors to buy into their ability to grow the wireless business and whether debt markets will give them the runway to do that. But the secured debt against, against the spectrum is... It's definitely one way they could make that easier. Yeah, all this talk of runway is giving me massive flashbacks to 2020. Suddenly, these companies are facing the same kind of conundrum that everyone was facing back then, which is kind of rummaging around the balance sheet and figuring out what assets they can pledge um, to lower their cost of capital. But we should wrap it up there. So, David, thanks so much for your time. I'm sure you'll be back on the podcast soon. Thanks, Will. All right, that's all we've got time for this week. Although if you do want to read more about some of these situations, please head to ninefin.com slash insights where you can see some of our content in front of the paywall. Or you can drop us an email on team at ninefin.com. We're always happy to hear from you and hear any feedback that you might have. 
If you like this podcast, please don't forget to like and share it. Make sure to check in next Thursday with my colleague Kat Hidalgo in London. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. So until next time, take care.